0: There is no heads up for Madison. And I love that about her. So Madison's going to be at the back of the room at the end of the service. John, would you make sure there's one of those tall tables kind of in front of where you are uh, by, when she leaves so she'll have a place to kind of stand. And uh, so if you have some things you'd like to talk to her about or you'd like to find out what she's doing, she has some some uh, liter- some literature. Sorry, I just, when I say literature, I have to say like Billy Graham. I just have to some literature. Also tonight at 6.30, they're going to have a, um, a mission service with Madison. She's going to be leading that at Emmanuel Baptist Church, 6.30 tonight. And so if you would like to be a part of that, I know she would love it, and she has some, some invitations to that. If you'd like to be part of that. Do you get all that? Yeah. Yes. Are you awake? Yes. Good deal. All right. I want you to say two words for me. I'm going to, going to change things up today. Can you handle change? Change, yeah. Six of you. <laughs> so good. Just say so good. Because I'm about to read a passage of Scripture that is so good, I don't want you to miss any of it, okay? So today is our last sermon in the series, Unshakable, not the last sermon ever. The way Michael worded that, it kind of left it all a little up in the air. <laughs> Actually, next week we start a series called Getting Past Your Past, and I'm pretty excited about that as well. I mean, just the Word of God is so exciting. But uh, today we're, we're finishing up Romans chapter 8, and we're getting into this amazing, beautiful part of the text about the, the amazing love of God. And uh, I have a sermon, I have a plan, I have an outline, and uh, I promise you, you'll be out of here by 1 o'clock. That's all I know to say. No, I'm just kidding. Um, A little bit. Um, I just was praying last night and uh, spending some time with the Father, and um, I don't know, I I want you to know, Papa's good. He's really good. And... um, I was just praying, and, and sometimes when I pray, it kind of breaks me up emotionally and so forth. And I was worshiping. You know when you worship, you get to sing with an audience of one. Have you ever realized that? You just get to sing before your father. Isn't that, isn't that It's wonderful? Anyway, sorry, that's another thing. I was just praying, and, and uh, I asked him for something. You know, I'm just like, God, I, I just, I don't need it. You don't have to do it. I just wondered if he would do this thing for me. And, you know, I, that was my prayer time, and I prayed that way for a while, and then I got done and went to bed and slept like a baby. Prayer helps me sleep. And I tell you what, this morning, Father just answered it like three times. It wasn't like he just did it once. He's, he did it three times in a row, back to back, bang, bang, bang. And I think he was saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And uh I want you to know today, if you don't get anything else out of what I'm saying, now I'm going to say this, it's going to sound really shallow, but it's not. I just want you to get that God loves you. And here's what I want you to understand before we even get into this message, is you have no idea how good that is. And I don't know that you ever will in this life. I think there will be moments when you will be overwhelmed by God's love and you will get a taste of how good it is to be loved by your Father. But I'm telling you, I don't think you're really going to get it until you stand in His presence and realize how much He is love and what it means to be loved by God. And so today we're going to get into this amazing passage about God's love for us. And it's a passage that's so powerful that its actual intent is to carry you through the worst stuff in your life. Um, That's exactly what it was given for. The worst things that could ever come at you, Paul wants to make sure you're equipped for it. And how he equips us is he teaches us about God's unstoppable, unbreakable, unshakable love toward us. And so, I'm going to read the text. Oh, I have another slide I was going to talk about. I'll come back to that maybe. Let's jump in. Romans eight thirty one. What should we say about these wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? So good. Say it. So good. All right? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? so good come on you're learning all right verse 33 who dares accuse us whom god has chosen for his own no one for god himself has given us right standing with himself so good verse 34 who then shall condemn us sorry i got king james in me still no one For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to light for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So good. And I am convinced It is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So good. Is that an amazing passage or what? I don't know if you have a how you read the Bible, if it's on your phone, iPad, or you got a physical Bible. I don't care which one. But you should be in Romans eight probably today, because I don't know where I'm gonna land. We might jump around that chapter a bit. It's all I'm warning you about, okay? I might re preach Michael's sermon from last week just so you get a better grip on this one this week. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. Although I want to, because that's a great text. That text changed my life. So, guys, why did Paul give us all this? Why did he write this, crazy, this amazing, encouraging passage? Well, because life is hard. Because God never said it was going to be easy. That promise isn't in the Word. He said he'd never leave you, but he didn't say he'd clear the path for you. He said he would walk in front of you, he would live in you, he would be beside you, he would be a banner over you. He would cover you from behind, but he would, he's not going to make it so that everything is just hunky-dory. If you're going to be happy in this life, you'll have to be happy in the Lord. Does that make sense? If You're going to know joy, you're going to have to know him. And the people he's writing to are persecuted Christians. That's who Madison's going to. Often, if there are believers in many of those cultures, it's because they are under persecution. And if you want to read an amazing book that will absolutely shatter your understanding of that, you should read The Insanity of God. And you can see what missions looks like in cultures that are very anti-Christian, especially in our Islamic cultures. But I want you to understand, Christianity, although today we have the freedom to gather, and we take it for granted, And I could gripe a lot about how we do that, but that's not the point of today's message. We take for granted the fact that we get to come together, and we get to worship, and Pastor Steve can just play his heart out, and the worship team can sing, and we can follow along, and we can think about Christ. And we get to do that and gather freely, and it's awesome. But it's not that way around the world, and that that freedom is shrinking quickly and has been for a very long time. And we need to understand that there may come a day that you're going to have to choose to stand up as a Christian or hide. The Christians at Rome and the Christians throughout the ancient world chose to be Christians, chose to follow Christ, regardless of what culture said about it, regardless of what the law said about it. Why? Because they knew what it was like to be loved by God. And if you struggle in your commitment to Christ and you struggle sticking with, you know, following Him or staying in the Word, it's because of your inability to comprehend how much He loves you. And if you really want to follow Christ, I challenge you to start there. Instead of of trying to do things to make God happy with you, which is not possible, learn that we love God because He first loved us. Learn to be loved by your Father And your commitment issues will go away. Christianity is being outlawed in many countries today. Mass murder of Christians is not uncommon. Pastors are going to jail. Yeah, that frightens me. Because if they outlaw my Bible, I still am going to teach it. And I hope someone takes care of my wife and kids. Um... We see people dying, we see Bibles being confiscated, crosses taken down, churches being destroyed. Every day, according to Open Doors USA, every month, Open Doors was started by Brother Andrew, a Bible smuggler of renown. Every month, 345 Christians are killed for their faith. 105 churches or Christian buildings are burned or attacked. 219 Christians are detained without trial or are arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Every month. And that hasn't even made Fox News or anything, or any news network. And so, we're not the first generation to have problems. And if the Lord tarries, it won't be the last. The issue is not the climate in which we live. Christians, and God is raising us up to be warriors, Christians must learn that we are faithful and we stand for God, and it doesn't matter what the climate in the world is we live in. Does that make sense? doesn't matter the danger. It doesn't matter the penalty. Why? But you're probably sitting there going, if you've never had these kind of radical-type thoughts, and that's probably what they would be called, you're probably like, why would anyone put Christianity above comfort, above popularity? I mean, even threaten their own freedom. Why would anyone put their faith above? above their own personal freedom. Why would you do that? Now, you, answer, you asked yourself the question, why would I do that? And I'll tell you why. We just read it. Romans 8, God loves you. And nothing can separate you from that love. So, let's get into the meat of this message. First, let's talk about this. God is for you. When the world seems against you, God is for you. Oh man, that's a good, good word. So let me see. Hang on, I got notes here, and I just I'm, I'm like all over the place. And so Jesus said in John fifteen twenty, He said, "They persecuted me. Naturally, they will persecute you." Do you understand that? Right? Jesus got into trouble with the religious establishment, with the government, because of the things that He said, taught, and did. Okay, and they persecuted Him for it. So <laughs> persecution is kind of a promise. All right. And, and some, it can take a whole lot of different shapes in your world today. It could be being ostracized from the people that you work with. It could be problems uh, you know, on the job or with the boss. It can be conflicts with people. It can be smeared in the community. You know, it, it can take a lot of different shapes, that whispering behind the back. How many of you guys like to be the main fodder for the grapevine? Boy, I know I do, I tell you. And I went in the right field for that, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> When these times come, and they will, and that's what I need you to understand. When these times come, and they will, guess who's for you? God. Your Father in heaven is for you. Now, I told you a while ago, you might want to jump into Romans chapter 8. So I I do want to read real quickly the passage that Michael talked about last week, because I think it's very important to understand just how much God is for you. And so Michael read Romans eight twenty eight through 30, and uh, so, sorry, I've got to get my cheaters out. I'm, uh, my eyes are older than the rest of me. I don't know what happened, but I can't see print anymore. Loads of fun. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. I start in verse 29. Now let me jump to verse 28. And and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. We love that verse. Amen. Hallelujah. I love it too. But what we we always stop too soon. When we read the Bible, we always stop too soon. I'm about to show you another verse where we stop too soon. Verse 29 for, how how does God do this? How does God make everything work out for good? How does he win with any hand? No matter what happens in your life, no matter who comes against you, God's going to work it out for good. How's that going to happen? Verse 29 says, For God... <coughs> Knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. Okay? Okay? Now, you read that, and maybe you're sitting there going, that makes no sense to me. But here's what you need to understand. That the very verse, verse of our text today says this, Who shall, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? So what Paul is trying to teach us in verse 28, 29, and 30 is that God doesn't just, he didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I like old Michael over there. I think I'll, I think I'll just, you know, work in his life. Before the foundation of the world, Before God said, let there be light, before Adam and Eve stood in a garden and rebelled against God, they didn't make a mistake, they rebelled against God. Wrap your heart around that. Before any of that happened, God said about Michael Longfellow, Michael Maynard, Jason Peake, every person in this room that's a believer, God said, I'm going after them. My heart is for them. I choose them. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, it's not because you woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I'll be a Christian. I think I'll go to church. That's not what happened. What happened was before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit sat around, had a conference, and they said, I'm going after them. I'm pursuing them. I want none to perish, and I know it won't happen on its own. I know that they will never come to me. They'll never trust in me. They'll never have faith in me if I just give them an option or if I just throw out there that they need to be saved. I have to go after them. So he did. Woo! Oh, I'm sorry. We got the compressor on, right? I was just saying, oh, that's so good Man. so the next time you're having a bad day and, every, and the world's against you I, I've had them man I, the day you get up and you drop everything you touch don't you love that I don't curl my hair because I don't have enough but you know my wife has burned her head several times dropping it on her head you know scars her head tells everybody I hit her no she doesn't do that I'm just kidding one day we went to a, a, some game down at the, one of those centers in Salt Lake, and I used my credit card for parking. And when we came out of the game, I think it was a basketball game, I got a call from my credit card company finding out if I had actually purchased pizza for 20 people in the Bronx of New York. <laughs> that was a good day. <laughs> the next time you're having a bad day, the next time that, that, that the, it's like the whole world's against you. I mean, that's just, that's just daily stuff. But sometimes... Like it's the IRS. Or your business is faltering. Or you can't figure out how to work your business with the government in town. Or you lose your job. Or you and your spouse are having major problems. Sometimes it's really big things. But here's what you need to know. God's for you. He's been before you. Before you was you. Amen. <laughs> he, he's been after you since then. He loves you. God is for you. That should change your look on things. If God is for us, who can ever be against us seriously? If God's on your side, who can go against that? I know a giant tried it once with the nation of Israel, Goliath, went after God's little twerpy teenage boy. That did not work out well for the giant. God and you make some majority, right? That's good. God's committed to you. Paul, when Paul wrote this, he's writing to Christians who needed to know that God was for them, but he also was writing to Christians who needed to understand that no matter what happened, no matter what happened, it didn't change God's being for them. He he demonstrates this commitment all the time, but obviously verse 31 says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Seriously. Seriously. How much does God have to be for you before we believe it? Would you lay down the life of one of your children for any person in this room? I love you, but no, I would not. I wouldn't lay down the life of one of my children for a person who didn't like me, who really was my enemy. I certainly wouldn't do that. But that's what God did for you, okay? To me, that's big. That God would lay His Son on a cross for you and for me. That's That's huge. So God did that. And then Paul just throws that in there. He gave up his son for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? So good. Won't he also give us everything else? And we don't believe that part. Why is it so easy for us to believe that a God could lay his son on a cross for us and so hard for us to believe that he can help us make the car payment? Yeah. Yeah amen that only stung because we struggle with faith we struggle believing why do we struggle believing because somehow we separate what god has done for us from what god will do for us but what he has done for us proves what he will do for us does that make sense that's what paul's trying to say that's the point he's trying to drive into our hearts god's for you you're not on your own and I get phone calls in the middle of church. How did that happen? No, my vehicle warranty is fine. Thank you very much. That's good. That's right. Oh, man, that's, that's good. God's for you even if, the world's, even if the world's against you. And you realize that he did all this while we're still sinners, right? Romans 5. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. I know we don't deserve that. Amen? We do not deserve God laying his son on the cross for us. We do not deserve that. I also know we can never earn that. Okay? You do not deserve it, cannot earn it. But guess what? You got it. That's the goodness of God. That's what grace is about. That God would do all of that for us. And I'll tell you what happens when you realize that I can never earn this. And a lot of you Christians, you know, you've been following Christ for years. You need to learn it too. There isn't a single thing in this Christian life that you deserve. Okay? It's all a gift from his goodness. He loves you. He's your father. We gripe at him about the bad things that happen, and yet he showers us with goodness every day. So anyway, all of this comes out of his grace and his goodness toward us. When you realize, oh, this is all grace, it will radically change your life. It will awaken you to the possibilities of God's goodness and and hope and what he could do for us, what he might do, what his goodness might look like. And I will tell you this, whatever situation you're in, and I know you're probably praying for some kind of conclusion in your mind that you would like to see happen. Well, here's what I want you to know. God may not do the picture in your head. He will do something better. It will work out better, somehow. Why? Because everything works out for good to those who are called, who love God, and are called according to His purpose. God has a perfectly good plan. And let me tell you something. When God says it's good, boy, I sounded real Tennessee there for a second. <laughs> Did that? When God says it's good, it's good. It's better than good. That's what Zig Ziglar used to say. And if we would take comfort in the almighty being on our side, Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord's my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Well, there's, there you go, Bible study for the week. Psalm 27.1, partnered with Romans chapter 8. What am I freaking out about? God's for me. He's for you. He was for you, before you were with him, before you were for him. You're thinking, but Michael, I've done some dumb things this week. Me too. I am also in that club of people who do dumb things. okay? He's still for you? He's never going to stop being for you. So stop allowing worry to guide your lives. You hear me? Last night I was praying and in my prayer time, God showed me that I was struggling with anxiety. He didn't have to show it to me. I already knew, but he showed it to me. And he kind of showed me what it was like and, and, and what I was dealing with. And it was a, a really humbling and scary moment in, in some ways. But as I'm praying, and I'm just, I'm going, you guys know what spiritual warfare is? It's where you, Holy Spirit, God, you go after whatever's after you. So in my prayer time, we were going after this anxiety. Seeking some deliverance, some freedom from it. Uh, I think that's why I slept so well last night. I don't think I'm done yet, but that's another subject. My point is, what I want you to hear from this is, we worry about a lot of things and our lives are guided by fear and anxiety. And that's not faith. That's not how God's kids live. God's children don't live by fear. We don't live by fear of what tomorrow could bring. We, we live by faith in what God's going to do with no matter what tomorrow brings. Does that make sense? We see things others can't see because God's in us. We also need to stop living our lives according to the expectations of others. How many of you do that? Well, I'm, I'm in that club too. Dumb, I'm in the dumb stuff club and the expectations of other club. You can't live your life that way. Why? Because God is for you. God is for you. And by the way, people have a lot of opinions about your life. None of them are based on you. You need to remember this. The people who have expectations of your life have nothing to do with you. It's always about them. And you're not responsible for them. Remember that boundary series we did the first year? That's their yard. Your yard, that's where God lives. That's where you live with God, right? So, expectations of others. Also, the old lie that God's not really good. Just because bad things happen in this world doesn't say anything about God. This world has nothing to say about God. Okay? Only the things God created and gave us have something to say about God. So let God, the God is for you, let Him be the God who is on your side and God's your day. He's demonstrated that through Jesus. So God's for you. Even when the world seems against you, God is still on your side. <clears throat> now, God's for you. Second, God won't allow anyone to condemn you if you love Jesus. And we'll talk about that last phrase at the end. God won't allow anyone to condemn you if you love Jesus Christ. Don't you love the world we live in, how everyone talks about love and tolerance, and the last thing they are is loving and tolerant? We live in a world that's waiting for you to post something stupid on social media so they can attack you and tell you how stupid you are okay the news is built on the the entire news cycle is built on criticism and judgment about things that no one who actually has a microphone knows anything about personally love that I love the talking heads because they would be great target practice but that is not the right thing to say in church anyway just kidding you can always find a moron to say what you want but that is another thing that I should not have said in church we live in a very toxic and cynical world okay what we look like, what we drive, the stuff that we wear, the things we do for a living. we, we make People make fun of us. We make fun of others. It's, it's like the Colosseum of ancient world, but now it's on the computer. And so what are you going to do about that? Because we live our lives afraid that someone's going to condemn us. And here's Paul. Here's Paul standing up to that. 2,000 years ago, knowing Facebook was coming. Who dares accuse us? Who dares? Oh, come on. Who dares accuse us when God has chosen us for his own? God likes me. (laughs) Who are you to not? No, I'm just kidding. That's not the (laughs) right way to look at it. Who dares accuse us? I love Paul's answer. No one. No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who, Who then will condemn us no one for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he's sitting in a place of honor God's right hand pleading for us who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own no one for God himself has given us right standing with himself the accuser the accusations they come and they could be justified you might have done something worthy of an accusation but I have good news Jesus Christ died on the cross for all those accusations. Even if you do something that's wrong, Jesus Christ died for that wrong thing 2,000 years ago. God knew about the wrong thing before the foundations of the world. And so, who dares bring accusation against us? Because those sins, everything that's wrong with us, is forgiven. That's what Paul, and he's looking at an eternal slide here, so that you might take that into account. The point is simply this. Your labels and the accusations, they will not stick. I'm not saying you don't have anything to do with them. We'll get into that in a few weeks. But they will not stick because Jesus Christ's blood has covered us, all right? And then we have this enemy who's out there to condemn us, always looking for things in our life to bring back guilt and shame. Last week I was in a church service in Colorado Springs, and the guy speaking is a professional counselor, has a doctorate in counseling, and he was talking about some th- needs in the family. But he made this statement, and it just kind of rattled my understanding of some things. And he talked about shame, and he said, shame has the same effect on the human psyche as trauma. And I'm like, whoa. So shame is like a, like a physical attack on the soul. And, and I can see that. When he said it, sometimes there are things you hear in life and Holy Spirit just says, that's true. And that's what I heard. He said it, and I'm like, that is the truth. And so we have people dealing with shame. And this is one of the reasons I hate guilt and shame, because of the damage it does. The way that it, it sidelines us and, and starts us, the enemy uses it. To, to, to speak lies into our life. What do you do with guilt and shame? You run to Jesus with it. He died for all the guilt and shame. He's got all the forgiveness of the guilt and shame. I'm not saying you should do nothing when you experience it. I'm just saying run to the right place. Don't wallow in it. Okay? Don't let the enemy use it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Ms. Lynn's got me back there. Thank you. So Satan wants to accuse us. And guys, you've got to understand, everyone's going to stand before God. Everybody. Everybody gets to give an account. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, you will be condemned. In fact, you are condemned already according to John 3.36. We are not waiting for God to announce our condemnation. It's already been announced actually to Adam at the Garden of Eden. The day you eat of this, you will surely die. That was the sentence of death upon all of mankind. That's the condemnation every person is actually born under. But... As a follower of God, as a Christ follower, as someone who God has pursued, and you have turned to him, oh my goodness, what time is it? Man, I shouldn't have looked at the time. That was a terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. So now, as you as a believer stand before God, Paul starts the chapter. There is no condemnation. Why? Because it's all been laid on Christ. There are four ways the text proves it. It shows that Jesus Christ's death on the cross pays the full penalty for sin. We could lay down Scripture after Scripture after Scripture to prove that simple truth, that what Jesus did on the cross pays the full penalty of sin. But then Jesus rose from the dead. Guys, a a faith, a Christian faith, without a risen Jesus Christ, is not a Christian faith. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, we don't have a faith. I'm just, yeah, I'll throw all my balls in that court because I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead why talk to him this morning he was fine <laughs> he rose again proving victory over sin and death the resurrection's proof that this price repent sin is paid in full we also find according to what Paul says that right now this very moment Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God he reiterates that Colossians chapter 3 says Christ is at the right hand of God Jesus Christ is God's right hand man he's there right now what's he doing right there well First of all, before I say what he's doing, let me tell you where I'm at. In him, right there. Colossians 3. I'm in Jesus Christ, right there at the right hand of God, right, uh, right now, okay? So his death proves that sin's paid for. His resurrection proves that it was the total price paid, and that we're saved by his life, Romans chapter 5. Then he's at the right hand of God. What's he doing at the right hand of God? Paul tells us he is ever living, constantly making intercession for us. So good. Right now, Jesus is right there at the hands of the Father. Right hand of the Father, praying for you. You're in Him. He's praying for you. And He's praying. I, I don't know what He's praying. Maybe He's praying that you'll get a word from the Father out of this message. Maybe He's praying that there's some things in your life that, you could, uh, you, that He could empower you to do. I, I don't know. All I know is He's constantly interceding for you in a way that makes you like Him. I do know that. Because that's the, that's the game plan. You in this life is looking as much like Jesus as possible. So God is for you, and God won't let anyone condemn you. And then my last point that I will probably not rush through after all, God will not permit anything to separate you from his love. I I tell you, as far as scriptures go, I don't know that it... I know we preachers get up and every text we talk about is our favorite. That's because from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse and chapter is our favorite. By the way, preacher, that is a good news proclaimer, by the way. So when you, when you hear us talk about preach, that, that, that means we get to proclaim the good news. That's, that's why we call it that. But God won't let anything se- separate you. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Now let's stop for a sec. What do you think has separated you from Christ's love? Your sin? What do you think he died for, man? What do you think the blood's for? Your mistakes, your attitude, your failures. Your marriage failed. Your business failed. You're broke. You're in debt. Whatever. You think? What do you think has separated you from the love of Christ? Does it mean we? He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. Can you see? Can you see how Paul is like tightening the noose here on what a life and how difficult it could be? And he's talking to people who've lived these difficulties, who've lived hunger, lived destitution, lived losing everything, lived under attack, lived threatened in their very lives. That's who he's talking to. He says, can any of this separate you from the love of Christ? And then he throws in this really uncomfortable quote from Psalms. For your sake, we were killed every day. We were being slaughtered like sheep. And it almost doesn't seem to fit. It almost seems outside what he's talking about. But if you think about it, he's leaning into it. He's leaning into the suffering. And if you read the rest of Paul's letters, he always leans into the suffering. In Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I know a lot of folks who want to know Christ's resurrection power. Very few who want to experience the suffering that he experienced. But not Paul. Why? Why did Paul want to know the suffering? Because Jesus inhabits the pain, man. Where there's sorrow, where there's brokenheartedness, where there's lostness, where there's darkness, where there's all those things, Jesus is charging in with the light of heaven, with the hope of God, with salvation, with forgiveness. That's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He ain't scared of nothing. He ain't scared of your mess either. You are. That's why we don't get healed, by the way. Okay, I'm adding to the sermon here. That's why we don't get healed. We won't go where it hurts. And Jesus is standing where it hurts, says, I'm waiting for you. And that's what we think separates us. And the the devil lies to us. You're having hard times. God must not love you. You lost your job. God must not love you. Your wife doesn't even love you. God must not love you. And on and on the lies go and go and go. And you think somewhere in the back of your mind that you're separated from his love, but not Paul. Paul comes back and says, no! Clear, unequivocal, no! Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Have you ever considered that the worst things in your life are actually declaring the overwhelming victory that's yours in Christ? Let that sink in, please. The worst things in your life are actually declaring Christ's overwhelming victory in your life. And we think if things aren't going well, God doesn't like us anymore. And we never take into account that we're not supposed to be in this life to be happy and comfortable. This is not the middle class American dream that God wants everyone to live. This is a war zone. You hear me? This is a war zone. There's a battle between light and darkness going on all around you. Can any, I'll continue on because I'm so out of time. Thank you for your grace, even though I haven't really asked. <laughs> can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble, calamity, persecuted, hungry, destitute, danger, threatened, or death? God's not going to permit anything to happen to you. And I just want you to know, just like we can only love God because he first loves us, First John 4.10. We can only hold on to God in our greatest difficulties because he holds on to us. John chapter 10. He holds on to us. And the last thing in the text you have to see. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Do you hear what Paul's saying? I mean, this is like bedrock Paul, man. It's, this came out of some, some tough stuff with Jesus. And he says, I'm convinced. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love and now listen to this list because before we're talking about the difficulties in the world but now he penetrates the veil he jumps from temporal into eternal the dark battle that's going on all around us right now that's where he plunges into and he says neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow he puts fear and worry into the eternal I'm sorry I just had an epiphany there Not even the powers of hell, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power, amen, so good, right? No power in the sky above, in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Are you loved by your Father today? And you will be every day, no matter what happens, no matter what comes against you, no matter what pain you suffer, nothing can separate you from this love. It's so good. Okay, i got to jump into one more passage. It just has to happen. I know you're like, I want to eat lunch. I'm, like, I'm going to feed you off of a different buffet right now. First Corinthians 2.9 we love this verse, but we always stop too soon. But verse ninety he says, This is what the Scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Isn't that a good text? And we always set it in context of heaven, and when we go home, it's so good. Can I read the next verse? I knew you wanted to. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No person, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. What does this have to do with Romans 8? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) We just read about this incredible love of our Father that we can never be separated from. And what I want you to see is that this love of our Father that we can never be separated from is not some, some, some atmosphere that surrounds us, but rather it is a knowing of our Father that we experience day to day. Loving God and being loved by God isn't a a theological truth only. It is a day to day faith experience of every child of God. There's so much more of your father to know. I don't know what you know right now. I don't know what you've experienced. Maybe Maybe God's compelled you to get into his word and you've discovered some of those delicious nuggets of truth. Amen. So good for you. There's more. There's more. There's more in this book. My father always said, and I'll never forget it. He always said, son, you can study this book every day of your life, and you better. And you will never scratch the surface of his goodness. But I'll tell you this. Jesus told his disciples that it would be the Spirit who was their teacher. We must understand that the Word of God through a fleshly lens is a corrupt thing. Woo! things. The Word of God is interpreted by His Holy Spirit and the Father has wonderful beyond your imagination truths and goodness that He wants to share and show you right here. I'm going to tell you I don't mean this as an insult but as a challenge. I do not know how you call yourself a Christian and do not read and enjoy the Word. I don't know how you do that. I can't. I'm telling you, if I stop reading the Word, I get carnal and fleshly real fast. Okay? Like, minutes. (laughs) It's terrible. In fact, I have a devotion every morning and I'm usually pretty grumpy by the afternoon. I'm just saying, that takes a lot of the Word on me, okay? I'm just here to tell you there's so much more for you. The conclusion of this message, hey, little children, that's what we all are. What are you afraid of? You afraid of this world? Why? God's for you? This world... Yeah, it can take your life. What are the, what's that going to do? If the world actually took your life, what's going to happen? Well, you get promoted. Yeah. Bam! You're in eternity. You're looking Jesus face to face and running to your father going, Dad, I'm home. Holy Spirit's in the air you breathe. I mean, come on. The worst thing that can happen here is your promotion. That's it. said, say, well, I don't, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be present when it happens. I don't <laughs> Nothing I can do about that. Uh. But also, on the positive side of that, your Father wants to show you stuff. He wants to spend time with you. His love for you isn't just just a declaration over the universe. It is. But it's it's like, I want to be with you. I want to show you the treasures of my heart. Father, saying, I want to show you my secrets. I want to take you to the places that I know and reveal my Godness, my divineness, my fatherness to you. Oh, my there's so much more to life than just being free. It's called sonship, and we'll talk about that in October. Let's pray. Father, worship team's coming up, and you can sense from God's children how much they love you and how much they felt loved by you today. We don't deserve to be loved by this like this, but here you are doing it anyway, always extending your love to us. And as you extend your love to this congregation this morning, Father, my prayer has been that each person here would have an encounter with you. That's what I'm here to do is to try or to rest in a way that people encounter you. And I pray they've had their encounters. They've heard from you. Maybe they've made some notes. Maybe they know who they're going to call this week to talk it over with. Maybe they know that they need to pray with someone and they're going to come forward before, even during this song and pray with someone who's available on either my right or my left at one of the gray tables. Regardless, Father... I I ask that every soul has an encounter with you. And for those who are struggling with the encounter, they don't know what's going on in their heart, they have questions, maybe they're angry. I pray, Lord, you give them the courage and the kindness to talk, to to touch me at the back door and let's have coffee And, and let me talk to them. I pray that you would give me that gift, Lord, that's not one I deserve but one I request. And so, Lord, I pray that as you walk among us because you're here and your spirit's just flowing through the place and heavens is pouring down you are so good i pray lord for those who need you and who have been encouraged and those who realize that they need to turn to you that they all of that would be accomplished and done today that nobody leaves with unfinished business with you in jesus name amen let's stand